I'm so glad that all of you are here with us today. In fact, I'm glad to see you after the crowd that we had in the 930 service here in summer. I'm like, oh my goodness, are we going to have anybody? Well, of course we've got people here, and I'm so glad that you are here with us in this 11 o'clock hour, and I want to encourage you guys to be uh, here with us next week. Next week, as you well know, is Father's Day, and it's going to be a huge, huge day. It really is. As you well know, these big days, we just try to pull out all of the stops, and we're going to do that for dads. In fact, uh, last year, if you remember, we had sort of the athletic theme, and um, we asked you to wear your favorite team jersey and do that on Father's Day, and, and all of you really did that. And uh, some of you may even remember on that day, uh, you know, I haven't asked you to wear your favorite team jersey. I had on this beautiful shirt that had, like, God's favorite team, and, you know, you, you probably remember that. And so this year, you know, it's sort of an outdoors theme. We're talking about True North. And so you can wear your favorite camo or fishing shirt or, or flannel, whatever you're going to wear. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have a special gift for all of the dads that are going to be here. I'm going to bring a special message for men. And I've been praying a lot about that, been working on that already. And uh, so I want to encourage you guys to be here. Hey, I will tell you this part. I want to hold it back. You know, a lot of things in suspense and just let you see it because as soon as you walk into the lobby, you're going to know. But uh, one of the things we're going to give away this outdoors theme. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have heard of and like Bass Pro just a little bit? You like Bass Pro? You've heard of that? We're going to give away a $100 gift card in each of those services uh, next week. So you may just want to keep that in, in mind. But we're going to have a great time together. Hey, guys, bring your dad with you or bring your son, your brothers. Uh, invite some friends. It's going to be an incredible day, and I want to encourage you to uh, be a part of that. Now, I want us to begin with a verse which we've been looking at in the three previous weeks. This is week number four in our series, Things Happen. And if you remember, uh, last week we talked about how that growth happens, that God wants us all to grow, and how that God is working in our lives to make that a reality. And then the week before that, how that healing happens. And the first week of this series, to sort of set the tone, sort of an overview, uh, we went to this verse, and then we've looked at it each week since. This will be the last time we're going to look at it for now. But I want you to see this verse, Romans 8, 28. And this is what it said, Paul writing, and he said, and we know. And we've been talking a lot about this. He didn't say, and we hope or we wish that may. And we know, we know for absolute fact that in all things, all kinds of things, because as we've been sharing with you, all kinds of things happen to all kinds of people. And we know that in all things, God is working. God is at work for the good. And we said that God, and we especially talked about this last week, that God is not only working for good to happen to us, but God is very much interested in good happening in us. The kind of person that you and I are becoming for the good of those who love him. And throughout this series, we've said, hey, it's not just for those who love him. But uh, he even does great things for those who do not love him. He causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And so we've been looking at this in this series. Now, in this final message, I want to talk to you about the primary reason. There are many reasons why Jesus came into the world. But I want to talk to you about the primary reason why he broke into this messed up, dark, otherwise hopeless world. And the reason why Jesus did that, among other things, this would be the primary reason, is that Jesus is all about people being saved. 
See, God does not, the Bible's clear on this, God does not want any single person to be lost. It is God's will that every person would be saved. If you're like me, you've got some unsafe family members. If you're like me, you've got some unsafe friends. And I want to just help you with this. You never have to pray a prayer that says something like this. God, if it is your will for them to be saved, I want them to be saved. You don't have to pray that kind of prayer. You can know with absolute certainty that God wants them to be saved. You don't have to pray for God's will concerning their salvation. A more appropriate prayer would probably be praying, God, I pray that for my lost family member, friend, or loved one, that they would open up their heart and their mind to receive truth into their life, the truth of who you are and what you want to do. So it is always God's will that people would be saved. So Jesus is all about saving people, but a real problem is that scores of people do not really believe that they need to be saved. You see, I run into a lot of people that the mentality is almost like this. Hey, I can figure it out. I can make it happen. Uh, A lot of us are activistic in this regard. You know, if we're challenged with something, it's like, you know what? I can figure out a way. I'll make it happen. You can count on it. It's going to get done. And we do that. We feel like, hey, I'm smart enough. I'm clever enough. I'm capable enough. I'm motivated enough. I'm passionate enough. Whatever I want to really reach toward and try to make happen, I'm going to. But you can't do that with salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. And we're going to talk about that. And, and we need to be saved, but we can't make that happen on our own. Now, that may describe you. You, you may be one of the people that have said, you know what? I have not really counted on anybody else to do anything for me. And I'm certainly not counting on anybody else to uh, provide me a reserve seat of heaven. So some way, somehow I'm going to make that happen. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be a good person. And if I'm a good person, that's going to get me into heaven. And listen, you can be a good, listen, this is really important. You can be a really, really good person and still miss heaven. You really can. Uh, it's, a, it's amazing to me, uh, unconscionable. It's unfa- I can't even imagine living my life this way. But a lot of people live their life this way, saying, well, you know, I just hope that when I get to the end, all the bad stuff that I've done is going to be outweighed by the good deeds that I've done. And, you know, the scale is going to be tipped at, you know, at the end, and, you know, it may be a close call, and I'm hoping that the scale tips in the direction of my good outweighing my bad, and so God's going to let me into his heaven. That is not how. I, I couldn't imagine living my life that way. Or you know what, I'm going to compare myself to other people. And uh, you know, if I'm better than a lot of people, better than most, better than average, then certainly that ought to be enough for God to let me in heaven. Have you ever noticed this? This is something I do. Perhaps you do it too. You ever notice that when you're comparing yourself to other people, you always compare yourself to people that are doing worse than you, than not better than you? I can always find somebody that's doing, (laughs) there's somebody out there that's doing worse than me. I don't want to compare myself to like a spiritual giant or something. You know, I feel good. You know, it sort of justifies. Well, God, and people do this all the time. Well, God, I'm, uh, you know, I've got all kind of problems, but at least I'm better than this guy. I'm better than this guy. And that's just, again, you don't want to live. That is not a wise way to live our lives. We've been learning together in this series that things happen and that we're not always in charge, nor do we have everything under control. And this morning, I want to talk to you about what I think is the most important message of this entire series we've been doing together. We've talked about how that growth happens. We've been talking about how that healing happens. And today, I want to talk to you about how that grace happens. 
grace. Grace is a beautiful thing. And I believe that by the time we get to this, the end of this talk, you're going to understand grace a little bit more. How can you talk about grace without going to these two verses in Ephesians chapter 2? Paul is talking to some believers living in a place called Ephesus, and I want you to see what he has to say. He said, for it is by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. That's how you're going to be saved. That's how I'm saved. It's by grace we have been saved through faith. And then he said, this is not of yourselves. It's not about your performance. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your words. It is by grace you have been saved. This is not from yourself. It is what? It is the gift of God, not by words so that nobody can boast. One of the beautiful things about heaven when you get there is nobody's going to be standing around heaven talking about what they did to get there. Hey, I did this and it got me a place into heaven. Nobody's going to do that because we can only get into heaven by grace. So let's talk about grace today. And if you're not already saved, I pray that this would happen by the time we get to the end of the service or at the end of the service. And there's basically two approaches as it relates to a person being saved. I didn't say there's two ways for a person to be saved. There is like this mental uh, process that people go through. Some people say, all right, here's the path to salvation that I want to take. I'm, I'm going to make certain that I'm going to some way, somehow save my own life. That's what I was talking about just a moment ago. I'm going to do enough good things. I'm going to do enough good words. My good stuff, some way, somehow is going to outweigh my bad stuff. And, and I'm going to make certain I, I'm going to read enough, go enough, attend enough, pray enough, do enough, give enough, and I'm going to do enough things. And it all goes back in our mentality to performance. Paul actually calls it our words. It's not by words that you have done, but according, what did he say? It's not by your words, but according to God's grace. So instead of taking that, that, um, that path, that approach of saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save myself, which by the way, is just a mere effort and futility. Instead of doing that, I'm going to take the path that wise people take, and I'm going to come to the realization in my life that only Jesus can save me. Jesus is the only one that can save me. A number of years ago, I was reading a book by Rick Warren, and uh, I brought along a couple of paragraphs. Listen carefully to what he writes. He says, each religion has its own unique list of rules, and if you compare the list, you discover that they are often contradictory. But the big idea behind all religions is that you must work and strive and put forth great effort in order to get God to like you. So God, he writes, came to earth as Jesus, essentially to say, you guys have got it all wrong. Of, of course, doing good things matters, but it doesn't make me love you any more or any less. My love for you is unlimited, unconditional, unchanging, and undeserved. So let me teach you a new concept called grace. You can't purchase it. You can't work for it to be good enough to merit it. It's a gift that will cost me a lot, but it is free to you. Everything I do for you, to you, in you, and through you, every single blessing in your life is a gift of my grace. I've done all of this for you. Now, here's a major obstacle because I talked to you about the two approaches. The person, the wise person says, you know what? I know that if I'm going to be saved, it's only because God has saved me. People who are making unwise choices said, I'm going to figure it out myself. I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen my own. Now, now, let me just say this, because we've got to be crystal clear on this. There is a major obstacle that stands between us and our ability to save ourselves, and it's a pandemic disease called sin. 
and everybody is affected. Nobody is immune to this. Everybody sins. You, you say, well, you know, maybe that's true for you, Pastor Jeff, but that's not true for me. Please, please don't go and get all sanctimonious on me. The Bible says everybody sins. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody sins. And, and sin is like this pandemic disease that's infected us all. There's a guy by the name of Benjamin Watson. Benjamin Watson is a tight end in the NFL. Uh, currently, he plays for um, the New Orleans Saints. How many of you, by the way, liked, you like the Saints? Let me just see your hand. Okay. Now, listen, you're Christians. You're supposed to like the Saints, all right? I'm just saying. All right, so I think he was originally with the New England Patriots, Benjamin Watts, African-American, a great, great man of God. He actually, uh, this may be notable, something you may want to know, he actually played his collegiate career at this great university in Athens, Georgia. He was a Georgia Bulldog, and he wrote this book called Under Our Skin, you know, sort of like all Georgia athletes do, write their own book at some point. So Under Our Skin, Getting Real About Race. It's, it's, it is the, the most moving book that I've ever read about race relationships. If you're interested in that at all, if you're captivated by that subject as I am, that is a book that you will definitely want to read. The best I've read yet, Under Our Skin, Getting Real About Race. And Benjamin Watson, among many fantastic things, that he says in this book, and it opens up our minds to all kind of understanding, but there's a reality in that book that he states that I wanted you to see on the screen. This is one of the things. Again, he's a great, great Christian man. He said, the good news is that we are all human, and that's true. He said, but the bad news is that all humans have the same disease, and the disease is called sin. See, the issue, and I want us to understand this fully, the issue is not do we sin? It is actually how often do we sin or how deep do we sin or are we really conscious of our sins? Some people are conscious. Some people just have an astute reality. This is the sin in my life. I need to deal with it. I need to stop it. I need to ask God to give me strength. I need to be rid of it. Some people uh, really are conscious about their sins. Some are, but yet many choose to disregard reality. There's a, there's a verse in the Psalms. Now, earlier Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's not by... Uh, uh, worse that we're saved. According to God's grace, he saved us. Now, you're familiar with this, but there's this, there's this unique verse in, uh, in Psalm 19 that I want you to see that speaks a, a lot of truth. And look at this verse. It says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? How can I know? How can I know all these sins? And, and it's like this conscious awareness of there are sins that I'm keenly aware of, but how can I know all the sin, the psalmist said, that is lurking in my heart? And, and then backs that up by saying, you know, here's what I need. I need to be cleansed. Cleanse me, God, from these hidden faults. How can I know the sins, all the sins lurking in my heart? Now, I want to comment on that before we move a little bit deeper into this message. How can I know? You see the verse, God still have it up. How can I know all the sins that are lurking in my heart? Now, this is what you and I understand about human nature. This is something that you and I, unfortunately, often do by default. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. By nature, I do this. And I would imagine that most of you probably do this. Maybe you don't do it as often as I do it, but you do this. How many of you know, all right, if we're being transparent with each other, that it is much easier to spot the sin in your life than it is to spot the sin in my life. 
It's easy for me to see your sin. And it's easy for you to spot the sin in me without seeing the sin that is in you. And Jesus addresses this. Now, just so that you know that this has biblical validity, Jesus even talked to his followers about this, and this is, this is what he said. He said, how in the world? Now, I'm not quoting this verbatim, but, but you're going you're gonna to know the passage when I mention it. Jesus says, how in the world can you get the speck out of the eye of another person if you've got this telephone pole in your own eye? You know, you walk around saying, hey, hey, let me, let me, friend, let me family, let me coworker, let me, let me, let me reach in there. And you've got this tiny little microscopic speck in your eyes compared to mine, but I'm going to reach it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you can't do that. How in the world? Jesus fundamentally is saying, how in the world can you get, uh, you know, a speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a log, when you've got a telephone pole in your own eye? And then Jesus said, here's what you do. First, take the, the law, the telephone pole out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. Now, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, it's always easier to find sin in somebody else than it is to find sin within us. Now, uh, speaking earlier of good news, here's some of the best that you could ever receive. Into our mess and into our disobedience and our rebellion and our sin, in what's Jesus? And what is Jesus bringing with him? I'm happy to tell you that when Jesus walks in the, into the debacle of our life, Jesus wants to bring with him grace. And what is grace? Grace is when God actually solves our greatest problem even before we knew that it was a dilemma. Let me say that again. Grace is when God actually solves our greatest problem even before we knew that it was a dilemma. Grace is also what God extends to you and I even though we don't deserve it and even though we can never repay him for it. That is grace. Grace is free to us. Now, it costs Jesus everything, but it's free to us. There's a guy by the name of uh, Philip Yancey. A number of years ago, many years ago now, he wrote this book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he tells this story, and I want to just share it with you because I think it will resonate with you as well. Yancey writes, he says, one of Jesus' stories about grace made it into three different gospels in slightly different versions. My favorite version, though, appeared in another source entirely, the Boston Globe's account in June 1990 of a most unusual wedding banquet. And he writes, accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered the meal. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to pictures of the flower arrangements that they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to, not the whole wedding, but just for this event at the Hyatt, the bill came, this actually happened, uh, to $13,000. So you do the math, that's 1990, do the math, uh, probably be equivalent to about 40000 or so today. Now, after leaving a check for half the amount as down payment, again, keep in mind, how much did it cost? Thir- it was going to cost this banquet, $13,000, downtown Hilton. So they had to leave a check for half the amount as a down payment. So what's that number? $6,500. The couple went home to flip through the book of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mail, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this for a little bit longer. When his angry fiance fiance returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. 
The same thing happened to me, honey, she said, and told her the story of her own broken engagement. About the refund, though, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. So she put down $6,500, they did, of the $13,000, but you can only get $1,300 back. So you have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment, or you can go ahead with a banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. Now, it really seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, Yancey says, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Now, 10 years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter, so she had gotten back on her feet, found a good job, set aside aside a, a sizable nest egg. Now she has this wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. So it was in June of 1990 that the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston had a party such had never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu Listen to this now. I think you'll like it. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom (laughs) and sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off the cardboard uh, boxes dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies and vagrants and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. And how many of you know that is a picture of grace? It's not something that you deserve, but it's something that you get in return. And Jesus often told these stories about the kingdom of God being, being compared to this impressive party or this lavish band banquet and all kinds of people who can't afford it and don't deserve it are all invited. Why? Why are they invited? Is it because of their popularity? Not at all. Because they have power, because they have prestige? Nope. Is it because of human performance, Jesus said, or because of all of their good words? Not a chance. It is all because of grace that people get invited to the banquet that Jesus is talking about. Amazing. By the way, having just read that story about a wedding, uh, some of you know this who followed. I, I don't do Facebook, but a lot of you do. And uh, I was going to mention my baby girl got engaged Friday night of this past week, a couple of days ago. She got engaged. <laughs> what are you clapping for? You don't see me clapping, do you? <laughs> you? Don't see me clapping. How can she get engaged? She's just three. All right, so she's 21, but it seems like she's three to me. So she got in, engaged Friday, and we're excited about it because we like Zeb a, a whole lot. And, uh, and so I met with him. He wanted to meet with me a while back, and I met with him. And, you know, he said, you probably knew this was coming. And I'm like, you know, I did. And so we met at the end of the seven hours. <laughs> you know, it didn't take that long. But, uh, you know, gave, gave the blessing and all of that. And Michelle Pentecost, who plays our keyboard in the band, uh, she knows me quite well, so before she, uh, before the 9.30 service, she said, hey, by the way, congratulations about Audrey, et cetera. And she said, uh, did you give him a book when he met with you? And I'm like, no, I really didn't. I gave him three. <laughs> and he's got to read all three before he can marry my daughter. But he's a good guy, and maybe you saw the pictures. It's not often you see pictures, you know, where the groom has longer hair than the bride. But that's a whole other deal, and I, I digress, so just, just saying So Jesus told these stories, the kingdom of God, 
It's this impressive banquet, this big wedding party. And you don't get to come because you deserve it. You only get to come because of grace. And grace, just like Jesus' blood, as you well know, flows from the cross. Before we're done, I want us to think about the cross this morning. At the end of this message, we'll have the opportunity to remember Jesus' sacrifice by taking communion together. As all of you well know, the cross has two beams. It has a horizontal beam and a vertical beam. And this vertical beam reminds all of us that we can have, if we want to, a personal relationship with God. And you know what? I've been a Christian a long, long time. I received Jesus into my life by grace when I was 15 years old. And I've been a Christian a long, long time. But I am still to this day amazed that God gives me the privilege to have a personal relationship with him. There's a lot of people that I admire from a distance, people I'll never have any kind of relationship with, you know, people in government or in entertainment or in business or in sports and such that I just, man, I would love to meet them. I'd love to know them. I'd love to be their friend, but I'll never have that opportunity to have a personal relationship with them. I, now, by the way, I don't lose a lot of sleep over that, especially when I consider that the God that created everything out of nothing gives somebody like me the opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. Now, that still blows me away, and it ought to you as well. This horizontal beam, vertical beam, vertical beam reminded me that I can have this relationship with God. Now, the Bible also makes it clear that I've got a problem. You've got a problem. I touched on it earlier. And the problem that all of us are sinners and that it's our sin that separates us from God. Now, I want you to track with me on this for just a moment. I want you to really give me some of your best mental horsepower right here. Because you and I, because, again, keep in mind, our sin separates us from God. That's what the Bible says. You know what the Bible also says? It's not really a part of my notes, but I'll toss it in here nevertheless. The Bible also says, says that our sin is like a burden that is too heavy to bear. Initially, it may seem pretty light, but the longer, let me just say, the longer you carry your sin, the heavier it's going to get. Our sin separates us. The Bible says it cuts us off from God because we lie and we cheat, because we deceive and we gossip, because we know our thoughts and we know our motives, our words, our acts. It actually puts us in a great debt to God because sin leads to death according to the scriptures. Now, uh, again, I, I, don't, I don't want any of us trying to pretend to be something that we're not or we're like, you know what, I'm, I'm so good, you know, I'm like Jesus Jr. and I don't know what's wrong with all the rest of these people. I mean, just think about it for just a moment. Just take the last seven days. Would you really like it if we put every word, every thought, every act, every motive, of yours or mine up on the screen, I'm not signing up for that. I don't think you would either. Now, having considered that, I want you to hang in here. How I many of you are with me? Wave at me because I'm about to bring a little math equation into this. So wave at me. You with me? Let's say that you sin in some way only 10 times a day. You say, hmm, I never sin 10 times a day. Oh, really? Can I tell you, I'm being incredibly conservative for you and for me. 
Because when you take, listen, you take every thought, you take every word, you take every motive. You t- How many of you are with me? Wave. You know, so conservatively speaking, if you and I only committed 10 sins a day, and again, that's conservative, that would be 3,650 sins each year. That would be 36,000 in a decade. And if you were to take from the age of 10, uh, 10 because we need, a, we need a little bit of, I want to cut you some slack on the age of accountability. So we're not even going to count the first 10. But let's just take the, the years 10 to say you live to be 70. Let's just take that. Then that's nearly 220,000 sins in a lifetime at best. Almost a quarter of a million sins. Some of you knowing you the way you know you, me knowing the way that I knew, know me, I probably have already, you know, by that time, busted a quarter million dollar mark. Quarter million mark. So how is it even possible? I want you to think about this. How is it even possible that you and I could ever stand in the presence of a pure, holy, perfectly righteous God one day with a sin count that is well in excess of 220,000? And I'll tell you how is the only reason we'll be able to do that. And I want you to hear me clearly. It is only because of grace. You and I are not going to be able to stand before God at the end of our life and say, God, you've got to let me into heaven because I've been a pretty good, pretty good guy. I've been a pretty good gal. And God's like, oh, really? You know, do I need to put the 220,000 plus sins up on the screen? Oh, no, God, please don't do that. The only way we'll be able to stand before God is because of grace. Our sins lead to death and separation, but Jesus died for us. We were in steep sin debt to God, and yet Jesus paid our debt off with his own blood. I want you to read this verse with me, everybody. You guys are going to put it up on the screen. I want you to check this out. John 15, 13. Let's all read it together. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Now, we're about to wrap this up and move into communion, but before we do, I have a crucial question for you. And here's the question. Cutting through everything that we've done, the serious side, the humorous, uh, cutting, uh, cutting through all of that, I've got a very sobering question to ask you. Have you received God's grace? Have you? Not as is available. That's not the question. The Bible says it's available. But have you received it into your own life? Now, you must realize that receiving grace is totally different than receiving honors or recognition or a trophy. Those things we earn. Those are the things that we work for. Those are the things that when we perform capably, we may be a recipient of. But grace is a gift. It is only a gift. But it is a gift of love. And you cannot earn it, nor can I, because it's free. You see, grace costs Jesus everything, but it's without cost to us. In his book, and it's a fascinating book, John Ortberg writes this book called Soul Keeping. And in it, he says this. He writes, interesting fact. The day on which your sheer existence is celebrated is your birthday. But you get no credit for your role in that event at all. You were never less competent on any day of your life than the day you were born. You were weaker, slower, dumber, slimier, less coordinated, least developed IQ, and of a higher nuisance factor than on that day than any other day of your existence. He says a birthday is grace. He said if you have 100 birthdays, you actually get a card from the president of the United States. What did you do? You just didn't die. That's all you did. And that's grace. 
And that's you and that's me. So in this series, friends, together over the last few weeks, we've talked about how that healing happens and how that growth happens. And certainly now we know grace happens. And as it relates to grace, you and I could never be good enough to receive it or, or smart enough to achieve it. We can't buy it. We can't manipulate our way into it. We can't give enough or attend enough or read enough or serve enough. But you know what we can do? What can we do? Listen, I want you to get this. We can humble ourselves and confess that we're a sinner and receive it. God's grace is a personal gift from God to us. So what is today? You say, you don't know, Pastor Jeff, today is Sunday. All right, I know that. You don't know it's June. I know that too. But you know what I know this day is, and I'm so excited about it. Today is the day of salvation for numerous ones of you that are in this service right here. Today is your day of salvation. I don't know what your story is. Everybody has their own story. Maybe your story is a story that is right now at this stage in your life. You're like, you know, Jeff, um, God and, and Jesus and the Bible and church, all that has been somewhat foreign to me. I, I believe in the existence of God, and I've been told my whole life that Jesus died for my sins, and I've been reading the Bible, you know, a little bit more lately, and there's a lot I don't understand. I'm just trying to find my way and never really been seriously connected to a church, and all that stuff is just foreign to me. And, you know, the reality is... Still today, right here, right now, you can receive the grace of God. You can receive the forgiveness of your sins and know that there's a reserved seat for you in heaven one day when you stand before God. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're a person that you've gotten away from God and you've just went into spiritual drift. You've been astray. And if that's true, and that can happen, that happened to me when I was a teenager and, and, and I wasn't separated from God because God had moved. God had not gone anywhere. It's, it's me that had moved. And I drifted from what I knew was the right thing for me to do and the right kind of life that God wanted me to live. And to keep Jesus as a savior and leader and forgiver of my sins. And I just, instead of God's path, I took my own path. And that may be descriptive of some of you. But today, listen to me, today could be your day of salvation if you want it to be. And maybe you're a person here and neither one of those stories, maybe you're the person that says, you know what, I've been a really, really good person. I've been a real good provider. I've taken care of my family. I've taken care of my kids. I'm generous. I give to nonprofits. I'm a good, good person. Compared to most, I'm a really, really good person. But listen, our goodness will not get us into heaven. You've got as good as you are to be saved. You've got to be saved. Maybe you're one of those that Paul was talking about. In Ephesians, you've just been trying to earn it, trying to earn God's love, trying to work for God's grace. And God says, no, 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 you can't do it. You got it all wrong. It's by grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's not by words. It's my gift. And I give it to you. No matter who you are or what you've done or who you've done it with or how long you've done it, whatever your life has been, God says today, I want it to be your day of salvation. I'm offering you grace. Will you take it? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? In just a moment, we're going to move into communion. But before we do, if you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I am not yet a Christian. I'm a good person. I'm a person that I'm investigating God more and more. I'm reading my Bible. I'm coming to church. But you've got to be saved. 
And if you say, I want to be saved today, I want to, I want to receive the gift of God, I want to receive a gift of grace, if that's you, I want you to just lift up your hand long enough for me to see it. Nobody else is looking around. I'm looking around. Lift it up long enough for me to see it. Just raise it up real high for just a moment, and then you can put it right back down. Just that quick. Just lift it up. Let me see it for just a moment. Put it right back down. Thank you so very much. And right there where you're at, just pray this in your heart, in your mind. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I sin every day every week, every month, every year. I know that I'm not going to get into heaven because I've been a really good person. That's not enough. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. I need a do-over. I need a mulligan. I need a fresh start. Because I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Lead the way. I want to be your follower. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, that's what I want to do. And thank you that you will not turn me away. You will receive all who come to you. And that includes me, God. I want to know that when I die, when I stand before you, with everything that I've done wrong, somehow by grace, I'm going to be able to get in. And so I receive you as my Savior, as the forgiver of my sin, as the leader of my life. With your help, I'll live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we put our hands together and let's just give God some prayer.